Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Um, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. The last time I spoke on Luke chapter 1, I think it was March 13th, 2020, which was the final regular in-person gathering before all the COVID restrictions came into place. This is the content that we preached right before that happened. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And it's been a little while since then, and one of the things that happens is we forget about all the people who are participating online along with us. So this morning, I think we should all say hi to somebody special who's participating online. This might be the first time they're participating online in the live stream there. Uh, Mr. Ed Langell is in hospital today, and Keith and Peggy were in visiting. Gave him an iPad and showed him the basics on how to find the live church service. Uh, Ed and Carlotta are a dear couple in our church family, have been for many years. Carlotta's here. Uh, But Ed is participating online. So, do you see this camera? This is camera number three. Ed is up in that camera. He's not in that camera, but he's watching from that camera. They're going to swivel it around. He's going to see the church family, and on the count of three, we're going to say Merry Christmas, Ed. How does that sound? You ready? One, two, three. Merry Christmas, Ed. That's kind of fun, isn't it? (laughs) He can't respond from that camera. I don't think we have that technology yet. He might be laughing, yeah. You might be able to hear it from here. The Hope Candle. Thank you, Bergman family. Beautiful words. Stole some of my sermon content. I'll forgive you for that. The Hope Candle. I think we're going to see through this series that we're doing through Advent, Angels We Have Heard, I think we're going to see how the Advent candles tie into the four angelic announcements at Christmas time. And I had mentioned that This series comes out of the GROW curriculum that we use for kids and for youth. So, this content that we're digging in today is the same content, the same theme in scriptures, that the kids will be digging into next Sunday and the youth group will be digging into. One of the big values here at Faith Baptist Church is community. It's our central core value. Community relationships ties everything together. So, we want to foster that. How do you foster community? Conversation, conversation, conversation. We want you to have conversations with your family, your friend, your Christian community, your life groups. We were talking this past week in our staff team meeting that the regular family, Alex pointed this out, the the best times for conversation are mealtime, bedtime, and traveling to and from sports and activities. I bet in the Christmas season you're doing a lot of traveling. So why not take the opportunity in those times, bedtime, meal time, and travel time, to be talking about the content of the Christmas story. And we've linked it up with the kids and with the youth to try and help foster that in this season. Because you know as well as I do, the Christmas season can come and go really fast, and we need to take every opportunity to talk about the true meaning, the real story of Christmas, and why it's important. So, we want to foster that this season. Here's a question for you. First week of Advent, hope candles lit. Where is your hope today? Who is your hope in today? Where can we find hope? What does hope look like in 2022? To answer that question, I want to go way back 
to a year before Christmas takes place, that first Christmas, in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. Verse 5, Luke chapter 1, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. I've always said Abijah. I think it's actually Abiha. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, how many know there's always a but? They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Like the introduction to any good story, you got the context, you got the characters, and then you got the complication, right? The tension, the big issue in the plot line. If you've heard the Christmas story before, you're familiar with King Herod and his role in the story, right? He's the king, kind of a wicked king. The wise men come, tell me where this newborn king is so that I can go and worship the king of the Jews. That wasn't really, he had ulterior motives, right? And then in the Christmas story later on, we find out that he has all the boys under two years of age executed, which is not unlike Pharaoh of Egypt of days gone by when Moses' mom put him in the Nile in the basket to protect him because that Pharaoh was doing the same thing. Herod. There was no hope to be found in a political leader like Herod. Then you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their story sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? No kids, advanced in years. In fact, this is kind of a trend that you find with the story of the patriarchs. And I didn't really pay attention to this previously. So Abraham and Sarah struggled to have kids initially. Sarah's daughter-in-law, Rebecca was unable to have children initially, either. And then her daughter-in-law, Rachel, now the third generation, she was barren for a time also. Barrenness is this interesting theme throughout the Bible. There's six instances. Those were the first three. Here's the, the final three. Samuel's mother, Hannah. Do you remember Hannah? Her husband, Elkanah, she couldn't have kids. Her stepwife or whatever you call it was making fun of her and putting her to shame and she's in the temple and she's praying and no words are coming out just her lips are moving and Eli the priest think, thinks she's drunk and tells her to put her wine away but she's praying for a child and then Samuel comes and she dedicates Samuel to the Lord's work. Samson's mother struggled to have a baby. The Shunammite woman who gave Elisha a place to stay built the prophet an apartment up on her roof. She couldn't have children. Now here's Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're unable to conceive. They're getting older. It seems like time was running out, like the sun was setting. Hope was growing dim. We have three verses to encapsulate the life of this elderly couple to this point. But I want to remind you that these are real people who lived real lives, had actual jobs and neighbors, and had to go get groceries and put gas in the car, just like you and me, except, I don't know, maybe it's hay for their camels or something like that. But these are real people who lived real lives. How many times through the course of any given day would they have been asked, so when are you two going to start a family? You know, you'd look good with a little bundle of joy under your arms. Oh, hey, don't wait too long. 
And without intention, those words cut deep into the heart of Zachariah and Elizabeth. So maybe not everybody knew their situation. Church family, can I encourage you, before we joke about kids or how you'd look good with some little ones running around, let's remember that conception doesn't come easily for everyone. I guarantee that there are people here today who would love to start a family, but they've run into roadblocks. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's hurts from the past. Maybe the adoption process was long and painful and didn't get to where they wanted to be. So let's, let's be sensitive. Let's not avoid the conversation, but let's have the conversation, not just make the comment on what we think the ideal family should look like. Let's ask questions in trusted community and be able to know how people are doing in a sensitive manner. Conception, pregnancy, starting a family, a home. It's all about expectation and hope, isn't it? A woman who's pregnant is a woman who is expecting. Hope, expectation. The Bergman family just lit the hope candle. Where is the hope for this couple? What are they waiting expectantly for? It looks dark. Zachariah is a priest who ministers in the temple on behalf of the people, and this one resonates with me. You know, quite often when you're ministering to people, you need to be ministered to yourself all the time. <laughs> Zachariah is not some superhero priest who can give, 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 but never needs to be served and ministered to himself. I wonder how many babies had been brought into the temple at eight days old to be dedicated, to be circumcised, and he was the one who had to provide that service, thinking and knowing that that would likely never happen for him. Hope. Life hasn't turned out the way that Zachariah and Elizabeth had hoped. Has life turned out the way that you expected it to turn out at every twist and turn? I bet not. What is hope? Is hope a wish? Is it an intense optimism that everything's just going to work out? Is it Jiminy Cricket singing in his vibrato on a star, a wish upon a star? Is it when you think that you're about to blow out the birthday candles and you got to make this secret wish, you better not tell anybody because it might not come true? Is that hope? Is it a dream? I researched some definitions for hope too and I found the exact same thing, Curtis. That's often the sense you get. In fact, in many of the definitions, it uses the term wish. Hope is a wish. What about this? What, what is hope based on? Is hope based on politics and government? Is hope based on the economy? Is hope based on health care? Is hope based on your job? Is hope based on having the ideal cookie-cutter family? What's your hope based on? Did you catch what Luke wrote about Zachariah and Elizabeth in verse 6? Look at verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I love the way that that's written. Husband and wife, both of them, together, are positioning and then practicing their faith. Can I just say that that's really tough if you're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't share your faith? 
the classic verses about being unequally yoked, the verses from the Old Testament that we use often for men's ministry, iron sharpens iron. It's really hard to sharpen iron with wood. If you're not sharing the same faith, how can you be growing closer to God in a relationship with somebody who is far from God? Zachariah and Elizabeth are together positioning and practicing their faith. Righteous before God, that's the position. Walking blamelessly, that's the practice. Now, does that mean they're perfect? Is that what Luke is saying? No. Salvation's always been by faith. That has never changed through the course of the whole redemptive story. Salvation has always been by faith. Righteousness by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Righteousness before God was always accomplished by faith. When that sacrifice was offered, as Zechariah would often do in his priestly service, that sacrifice was a picture of the once-for-all sacrifice of the Messiah, the Christ who was to come. It's just simply a picture, a symbol of Jesus who was one day to come, and they would place their faith, looking ahead through the eyes of faith, to the Christ who would come to die once for all for sins. It wasn't about the bull or whatever the animal, the sheep that was to be sacrificed. It was a picture of Christ to come. And by placing their faith and trust in the coming Messiah who would die for their sins, positionally, they were made right with God. And then practically, as they walked, as they went through day to day, as they were going about their day, they were following the commandments, the statutes of the Lord. They were positioning their faith in the Christ who was to come, and then they were practicing their faith. It was the outworking in their life. Together, Zachariah and Elizabeth practiced faithfully waiting for the coming Messiah. Why are they following God? Why are they practicing his commands? It's because the promised Savior of the world was yet to come. And they were placing their faith and hope and trust in the faithfulness of God to keep that promise that he would send his son into the world. Now, here's what adds a little interest to the story. This, this is the part in the sermon where I say, I never really knew this because <laughs> I didn't pay attention or dig deep enough or focus on this aspect of the passage. Do you know what their names mean? Now, in this culture, Names held a lot more weight when it came to people's identity than they do today. You may not know what your name means, or maybe you heard it back in the day, but it doesn't really have any implications on your identity or how you live your life. In this day, names meant a lot more. So you got Zachariah and Elizabeth. These are common names that we use still today. Zachariah, it comes from two Hebrew words, Zachar and Yah. Zachar means to remember, and Yah, not Yah, but Yah is Yahweh, God's holy name. Zechariah's name means God remembers. Now for Elizabeth, wouldn't it be cool if these two names worked together so well? Wouldn't that be cool? Elizabeth. It's also two Hebrew words. El Shabbat. El means God, and Shabbat means an oath, a vow, a promise. Elizabeth's name means God promises. Zechariah's name means God remembers. Zechariah and Elizabeth, God remembers his promise. 
Do you believe that today? That God will be faithful to his promise? He will not forget? He will remember his promise? This hope that they were placing in the coming Messiah was based on the promises of God, a God who will always remember his promises and be faithful to them. This is their hope. This old couple were expectant. They were hope-filled. They were anticipating, waiting for the day that God would remember his promise to Israel, the Messiah. So God's about to demonstrate to this old couple, both personally and then globally and then universally, that he keeps his promises. He will never forget his promises. True hope is found in the faithfulness of God. And the pinnacle of God's faithfulness is sending his son into the world. We can have high expectations in a God who will never fail his promises or his people. And that's the introduction. I know that was a lot of time, but I feel like that sets up this whole idea of hope. Luke chapter 1 and verse 8. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Potentially, this was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah's priest. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Approaching God was far more difficult before Jesus came and died and rose again. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? He breathed his last, the sky went dark, and the veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom. I've heard it pointed out so many times that it's significant that it tore from the top to the bottom. God opening the way for humanity to enter into his presence because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Before that... It was a much more sensitive, reverential approach to God's presence. You have the temple, you have the holy place, the holy of holies, you have the veil that separates the average priest from stepping in there because the Ark of the Covenant is there. It's the symbol of God's presence resting between the cherubim, the angels on top of the altar, on top of the um, Ark of the Covenant. So there was this veil that was to protect the priest. Now, Zechariah is going in to offer incense. Prayer is a key element in this first angelic announcement that's about to take place. People are praying outside. Zechariah is offering incense inside. Incense, the sweet-smelling aroma that rises like smoke, is a picture in Revelation of the prayers of the saints. That's a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God before his throne. He has this bowl this altar of incense. So Zechariah is offering this incense. It's a picture of prayer going to heaven. The people are outside, they're praying. It's a picture of communication to heaven. We're about to hear the first angelic announcement about the birth of Jesus. Communication from heaven to earth. The people are praying from earth to heaven. Luke chapter one and verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. It just appeared. It just materialized. Verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. You'd be afraid too, wouldn't you? Verse 13. The angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. 
Now, each of these four angelic announcements start with the exact same line. It's a classic line for the angel to use. Do not be afraid. All four announcements that we're going to hear through the Christmas story start with that line. Do not be afraid. Why do angels cause so much fear? Are, are they intrinsically fearful beings or is it the element of shock and surprise that scares the person? What is it about angels? Uh, we're going to be talking about angels a lot in this Advent series. Um, the theology of angels is called angelology and we're going to be digging into what angels are all about. Angels are spiritual beings. So it's pretty tricky to nail down exactly what they look like because they're capable of taking different forms. Uh, sometimes they appear in human form. Other times there are these bizarre descriptions like the book of Ezekiel, the book of Revelation. Much of the time they're not seen at all. We're just entertaining angels unaware, the book of Hebrews says. But it's not unlike God taking human form, Jesus, but also God's spirit seen as flames of fire and wind, but also in the unseen. Angels don't look like Cupid. They don't look like some baby cherub figurine, some little precious moment ceramic thing that you might have sitting on your shelf. We'll get a better description as we move on. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. What do you think the name John means in Hebrew? Wouldn't it be cool if it just tied into the story? Wouldn't that be good? John. It comes from two Hebrew words again. Yehok enon. Don't ask me if that's the proper pronunciation. I don't even know how to spell it. Which is Jehovah and the word gracious. Jehovah has been gracious. God has shown grace. God has shown favor. God has blessed. God has remembered his promise and has responded. John. God didn't forget this dear couple. God heard their prayer. God remembered. God is faithful. But the timing probably wasn't what they expected. And can I suggest to you that when we talk about prayer, when we talk about answered prayer, often the timing is the critical factor. When we pray, we talk about God's will. We talk about in God's time. There's this understanding in theology of God's omniscience, that he knows all things. He's above all things. Wouldn't it be great to know what God knows? Let me take that back. Wouldn't it be such a scary, tremendously fearful thing to know what God knows? Here's what we need to understand. God knows everything. God has a plan. And in his perfect plan, there are responses to prayer, but only according to his timing. The angel says, Zachariah, Elizabeth is going to conceive, bear a son, you're going to call his name John. But the timing didn't necessarily line up with what they expected because they were advanced in years. How many times have you prayed, but your understanding and your expectation of the timeline didn't correspond with God's? I was talking to my son this last week and just a very brief conversation about prayer. And he, he pointed out that prayer didn't work because God didn't answer his prayer. And I asked what he prayed for and I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but it was something simple and he was looking for an immediate response. And when that immediate response didn't happen, 
well, prayer must not work. But it's a timing thing, isn't it? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God didn't forget them. Luke chapter 1 and verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Why many? I could see Zachariah and Elizabeth being excited because they're an old couple. They think they're past their prime. This ain't going to happen for us. Oh, it is going to happen for us. They'd be excited. But why will many be excited? Verse 15, here's why. Because for he, John, will be great before the Lord. And then here's the Nazarite vow. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him. Who's the him do you think that he's referring to? It's the Messiah, the king. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, like a prophet, to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The angels describing their son as a prophet, a forerunner, a herald. The job of a herald back in the day would be when the king and his convoy was coming through, the herald, the forerunner, would run ahead and at every community or village or town or city, he would prepare the way for the king. So he would show up at Great Village and he would say, you guys better get ready because I'm presenting the king. The king is on his way. Now, you're probably going to do some hosting through the Christmas season. Maybe you lead a life group. Maybe you're part of a life group. When you hear the people are on their way, what do you think? I better get ready, right? Let's shove those clothes in the closet. Shove those dirty dishes back into the dishwasher. Kids, did you flush the toilet? Go clean up your toys. Get ready. Wipe the kid's face. The people are coming. Is that somebody in the driveway? Quick, get all the popcorn kernels off the couch. You're rushing around trying to get things ready. Prepare for the king. Get ready because the king is coming. Zechariah and Elizabeth are ready. They're waiting. They're willing. Why will many have joy and gladness? It's because John will be a prophet who will prepare the way for the Messiah. He is the herald who proclaims to the city, get ready because King Jesus is on his way. Here's a question. Was this a promise that the angel was making? Is the angel the one who came up with this idea? Is the angel the one who's going to provide the power to make it happen? Is the angel acting in his free will? How, how is this happening? Luke verse 1 and 18. Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife, guys, get how he says this. My wife is advanced in years. It's like a reference to her wisdom and experience rather than her age. He's walking on eggshells here. Verse 19. That joke actually got some laugh when I told it two years ago, right before COVID. <clears throat> Did anybody remember that? No? Nobody remembers? Okay. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring about this good news. Here's our answer. Here's some more information on angels according to the Bible. This is Gabriel. 
He's going to make another announcement in the Christmas story a little while later that we're going to dig into. But Gabriel, the name means man of God. Gabriel. He's an archangel. He's a higher ranking angel. I was hoping we were going to sing the verse of that song that talked about the seraphim, the cherubim. Yeah. Uh, He stands in God's presence in heaven. This is simply a message that he was told by God to bring. He's carrying a message from God's presence. God is the one who's accomplishing these things. This is God's plan. All the way from back in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, where it's talking about the root of Jesse, the son of David. Angels cannot operate outside of God's authority. Angels no longer have free will as we have. We can choose to follow God, we can choose to reject God, but the angels who chose to reject God at the beginning of the redemptive story, they were cast out of heaven with Lucifer, a third of them. The two-thirds that remained, their will is locked in. They are God's servants, they are God's messengers, they move and act and live and breathe on God's authority and his will and his direction. An angel can't just decide whatever he wants to do, they have chosen to remain subject to the will of God, and they are locked into that role. Now, this is a pretty standard description of not only what an angel is, but what an angel typically does. An angel is God's messenger. They carry God's message. And we're going to look at three more of these announcements of God's message. Zechariah is questioning, how can this be? Kind of like Sarah when she laughed at the angel who told Abraham that she would conceive. And then they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. And Gabriel's response is simple. I stand in the presence of God. I'm not telling you that I'm going to make this happen. This is God's plan. God is going to make this happen in his power. Now, the next part is curious. Look at verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It's interesting when you thumb through the pages of the books of the Bible, 66 books split into Old Testament 39, New Testament 27. Right in the middle, you have Malachi ending the Old Testament, Matthew beginning the New Testament. We're in the book of Luke. It's interesting when you look at the chronology that this is the first event in the New Testament storyline. Prior to that, there are 400 years of silence, it's called where God has no direct message to his people through the prophets, through the priests. There is no direct message to the people between the book of Malachi, the Old Testament, and the book of Matthew in the New Testament, or the chronology, this first chapter in Luke that we're looking at. It's been 400 years of heaven seeming totally silent. Now Zechariah will have to be silent for nine months. He's the first guy to have a message from God in 400 years, and he can't open his mouth and spit it out. Have you ever been so excited to tell somebody something and you can't string your words together? My kids do that all the time. My daughter, Jade, she's struggling through a stutter. She's learning around that right now. And when she's excited about something, she just cannot get it out. But you can see the excitement all over. Zachariah can't speak. It's hard to keep it in. Kids at Christmas time, the anticipation, the excitement, the, there's no patience. 
Every time it snows in the last few weeks, my daughter is convinced that Christmas happens the day after it snows. So when she sees snow, she's all excited that Christmas is the next day. We're trying to explain to her, no, 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 no. There's like 30 more days until Christmas. You got to wait. You got to be patient. Maybe God was giving Zachariah just a small taste of what it's like to know the plan but not be able to tell the people. Maybe God was giving Zachariah just a small taste of what it's been like the last 400 years to have this view of the plan of redemption and to have all of these people praying, complaining, wondering why their prayers aren't being answered, wondering where the Messiah is, when is he going to come, should we keep hoping in this, should we hope in something else? And God has the plan. You ever have a child come to you and say they're convinced that Christmas is the next day? And as much as you try and tell them otherwise, they're just, God's got the plan. That's all about the timing. Zechariah can't speak. He can't get the word out. God's like, I know, just wait, hold on, almost here, Christmas time's a-coming, Jesus is on his way, I haven't forgotten my promises. Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, they're wondering at his delay in the temple, did the guy croak in there, did he get too close to God's presence? Verse 22, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. You ever played charades? Verse 23, and when, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. That's a man right there. You finish your shift. You don't go to the hospital just because you can no longer speak or something like that. You finish and clock out, right? That got more of a laugh two years ago when I said that. Imagine, the most exciting thing is happening, God's direct message, and he can't speak, he can't get it out. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Do you know what that tells me? It had been a hard, long wait, and the patience had grown quite Difficult and thin. Hope is not a Christmas wish. It's not a shooting star. It's not a magic Christmas snow that apparently Frosty was made out of so we can never melt. Hope isn't necessarily a big time special moment of prayer either. Like Zachariah in the temple. Remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth were practicing hope in the coming Messiah. They weren't simply waiting. They weren't sitting in silence. Hope is a long-waiting, expectant fulfillment of the promise of God. Yes, the Messiah, the root of Jesse, the son of David, he has come. So now what are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for him to come again. See, when Jesus came the first time, just about a year after this announcement right here, we're going to look at it next week. 
When Jesus came the first time, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die for the sins of humanity on the cross of Calvary and then rise again to give us new life. That's why Jesus came the first time. And he came, he did it, but now we're waiting for Jesus to return again. And when Jesus comes again, he's not going to come as the meek and mild shepherd He's going to come as the conquering king. And when Jesus comes again, that's what we're expectantly waiting for. He's going to right all of the wrongs. And he's going to take care of the sin and the evil and the brokenness and the barrenness and the missed expectations and the broken dreams of the world. And he's going to institute the fullness of the kingdom of God and wipe every tear from every eye. And we're going to sit around a table at a feast as those who have been washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. We're waiting expectantly, hopefully, for the day when Jesus will come again and make all things right. For now, we remember, we celebrate We worship, we praise Jesus who came and who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again to give us new life. That is the hope for Christmas. We're going to close in a word of prayer. We have potluck taking place in the cafe. We would encourage you to come and stay. If you didn't make 32 meatballs, you're still welcome to come up there. There's always tons of food. You can have my plate. That'd be great. Um... And then we have a funeral service at 2 o'clock today. But between now and then, I don't want to miss out on this conversation around hope. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond. We don't have a closing song today. And I think that's good because we don't need to do the same thing every week. But we do want to provide the opportunity for response. So I'm going to close in prayer. If you're participating online, you can fill out that Connect card. Let us know what we can be praying about for you like Zachariah prayed on behalf of the people as the priest, we, we would love to know how we can intercede and pray for you in this season, especially when it comes to this theme of hope. We're going to have some folks who are ready and willing to pray with you at the end of the service. If you would like prayer, you can come up when the service concludes and there will be people uh, who would like to pray for you. You don't need to be up front to do that. You can pray for the person next to you. Maybe somebody invited you this morning. Take the opportunity to chat just for a moment before you get up and go about your day about hope and how you can have a hope that's like an anchor, sure and confident for the soul. Let's close in prayer today if we could. Father God, I want to thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you're a faithful God. Thank you that you're a promise keeper. God, thank you that you fulfilled your promise through the pages of the redemptive story when you sent your only begotten son into this world. Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost, to die on the cross for our sins. This Christmas, we remember and we celebrate the king of heaven coming down and being placed in a meager, humble manger. But we also recognize that that king of heaven hung on a wooden cross for me. Jesus, we thank you that Christmas points to the cross. And this hope we have in what you've accomplished for us 
is also referencing a hope that is to come when you will make everything right in this world. God, help our hope and anticipation and expectation to be built solely and wholly on your promises and your faithfulness. Not on our circumstances, not on what this world has to offer, but thank you that you are a faithful God and we can trust you. You never change. You never go back on your word. And if you've said it, it's as good as done. So we thank you, God. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for those participating online. Thank you for Ed in hospital today. God, we pray for others in our church family who are struggling in this season. And as April mentioned during the praise time, that there are people who find this to be a difficult season. We think of the funeral today. We think of the loss, the health, health concerns, the, the economy, so much around our world today that would distract us from the hope that we have of heaven Jesus, thank you that you speak through all of that, that you are the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, we thank you. And this day is all about and all for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.